Hey, good afternoon, good morning, good wherever you are. This is uh, Third Party Threat Hunters Podcast Season 2. I believe this will be Episode 2. And I have with me uh, Mr. Jay Bobo, who I've been friends with now for going on a year, I think, running each other at at conferences. Jay is the uh, creator, CEO, founder of Breach Siren, which is a great tool that I I happen to fall in love with as well now and wanted to spend some time on a a podcast uh, demonstrating a little bit. But Jay and I were first going to talk about just some other random stuff uh, on third-party risk. But uh, Jay, why don't you just give a little bit of background about yourself too so their listeners know. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, Greg. So, um, yeah, you know, I've worked in in tech and cybersecurity for over 20 years, um, really sort of self-taught. Uh, I was a kid. My my dad brought in a Commodore 64 and said, I don't know what it does, but figure out how to use it type of thing. And really started, started from there. And I fell in love with security really early on, even though I didn't work on it in the early part of my career. You know, I was a big fan of, I think I was 10 years old when the movie Sneakers came out. Robert Redford, I don't know if you remember that one. You know, so I had this, you know. You know that's the way back machine. Yeah. The, you know. n- by the way, n- none of the none, none of the cybersecurity movies I've ever seen ever get it right. It's like it's like watching a com- like I, I'm an ex-military and watch, watch comment. Those are dummy rounds. Those aren't real rounds. Or, of course, why would they use real rounds in a, in a movie, anyways? But yeah. it's lost on Greg at that point. Yeah, yeah keep going. But, you know, with the 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 magic of Hollywood that got me into some of this stuff, and you know, I remember some yeah. of those early sort of you know, uh, movies and things like that. So I started playing with things and my parents had no idea what I was doing. I remember, you know, uh, utilizing a war dialer. So you have to be maybe a little bit older to remember this, but you go in and it would, it would dial numbers and see if someone would actually ping back to find bulletin board right. systems. So I think I was the only kid probably in the inner city, uh, uh, born in Toledo, Ohio, who, who probably had a war dialer running, I'm assuming. Um, <laughs> and really, that I kind of got got one. From maybe there. the only war dollar in Toledo, but that's, that's yeah, a different maybe. story. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to our Toledo listeners, right? Yeah, but, you know, my parents would be like, "Oh, why? Why is the phone line? like? We can never utilize the phone. You're always, you know, sort of on the internet, you know." And that, but that <laughs> love for computers and you know security and you know Dick Tracy and stuff like that. I always had a had a interest in sort of learning more and in, in technology, and um, you know, fell in love with software development. I was a software developer for a number of years before um, heading into healthcare security and running a product security team. So that's kind of really where my expertise is in building really great products and, you know, from a product security perspective. So I think my focus is, is not sort of a traditional one, um, sort of like starting from network security. We really focused on, you know, how do we protect the needs of the business? How do we protect patients and consumers? Um, which led me into to Breach Siren. So which I hopefully I have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about you know, all the fun stuff that we're working on in breach intelligence. But that's a little bit about my background, Greg. That's great. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. Kind of, it's a little bit similar to mine. I didn't, I didn't start out as a computer scientist. I just fell into it because it was kind of fun to do. And yeah, nobody else is interested in my story, so I'll, we'll just leave it there. But um, so the three ugly truths, we were talking about kind of what we wanted to talk about on the podcast. And you had listed the three ugly truths, and I'm just looking over at my notes here. Financial impact, accountability, and the third one, which actually I like as the first one, is cr- uh, crappy, expensive tools because because they abound. Um, yeah. uh, so if I could hit that one first, just because I think it's it's the it it, it it's of great interest to me lately because I've seen quite a few uh, crappy and expensive tools in the space. Right? We we had the first generation tools, and we won't name names on the, on yeah. the podcast. We don't want to offend anybody or people to walk home thinking Greg hates their tool. It's more about um, for me. It's about 
uh, a lot of the tools in this space currently are focused on compliance and not yeah. necessarily security, right? I agree. It's, it's, um, I, I did, yay, I did it. And then that's it, right? It, it did what? I, I, and, and how well did you do it? And are they continuing to do it is really the other question. But uh, Jay, expand on your thoughts on this area. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think one of the other things is sometimes when we just focus on compliance, I do think there is a benefit that practitioners can deliver for the business. But when you really focus on best practices, there's an opportunity to develop more trust with your counterparts in business and with your CISO. So for example, you just do compliance, you say, hey, we got the compliance activity done, but you're viewed as these folks just get the compliance stuff done, they don't offer any more value. So why do we need to make any more investments in them? Why do we need to you know, make investments in their careers or their budget and so on and so forth? And I think that when you think, you know, when people come to me and say, you know, what do you think are the most concerning issues within, you know, cybersecurity from a, a risk perspective? You know, I always bring up third-party risk management. I remember I was having a conversation with uh, a, a CISO of a really large company not too long ago. And it was like, oh, this third-party risk stuff has no value. It's just, you know, just, I don't see any. And I was like, this is literally, this is one of the biggest concerns that, you know, you should have. And right. I think it really gets down to sometimes the tools and the way in which we sort of communicate value. So what we need is, to your point, is compliance is great cool but i would even argue greg some of these tools aren't even really great from a compliance perspective you know uh, <laughs> I think I, i'm not you're, i'm not gonna argue with you jay actually surprise surprise right so <laughs> so i i i think i think um what the, the, you, you 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 describe it uh really better than i did and i hadn't i had thought about it in that perspective right is one of the challenges i think organizations have in valuing the third-party risk space is because it's done in a compliance checkbox way Particularly CISOs, right? CISOs yeah. are, are looking at the at the three pillars of the triad and saying, "Well, compliance isn't one of those pillars, guys. It's you know, it's uh, it's it, it's the, the C in that is is not uh, is not stand for compliance in the CIA triad, right? Yeah. Um, and and yet we we and many cyber shops in particular treat third party risk as a as a tick the box. Yep. And and it's where I get back to the third party threat hunting. It wasn't a name picked at random. I, I felt we should do it. We have a first party threat hunting teams in most operation spaces, right? That is going on and they're called a threat intel. They go out and look for, for stuff that's a risk to their first party. Why aren't we doing the same in the third party space? We're, we're not threat hunting for third party risk. We're just ticking a box. And that is really hard to get it. I, I, we can, I can get this. Don't tell anybody, but AI is going to make that go away. I mean, literally, it's one of those easiest things that you could you could push a button and say, AI, do this. Now, is it going to do it perfectly? No. That's why you need a human still to go back and look at stuff. But you don't need five humans. Yeah. You need one human to do that work, right? Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. You know, so there's a couple of things that I've noticed when I sit down with practitioners and I ask them about some of these tools that they're utilizing. I say, okay, here's a question for you. If you sit down and you have a conversation with your cybersecurity team, what's their overall opinion of DAS scans? You know, I was just on Chris Romeo's AppSec podcast, and right, I right. mentioned DAS, and we all sort of turned our nose up. And, oh my goodness, you know, it's, you know, it's crap to a certain extent. So when you look at some of the some of the tools, like I said, we, we won't mention any, any by name, but for a lot of the risk rating tools, they're doing external scans, and they can't answer really fundamental questions. Right. You know, things like does the vendor have comprehensive MFA? 
You know, do they actually do vulnerability remediation? You know, did they remediate any of the things from the last spin test? You know, um, you know, uh, engagement. You know, how do they do on phishing? As an example, yeah. is the CEO and CFO constantly still clicking on every link that that pops up in their email? You know, as an example, you know. Sure. What, you know, those so. are only going to come from physical validation, by the way. Those kind of that, that kind of that kind of uh, ability to have assurance that they are doing pen testing and that they're following up on it. Th- yeah. There are ways, and, and my my first book talks about it. And not to say that you can't use these tools, they are the, these big box tools, as I call them, right? That that what I what I would discourage folks to doing is focusing in on the, the scores that they get in those things because those are algorithms that you have no window into to the most part and may not may include stuff that you just don't care about They're, they do almost all of these throw um through through actual alerts and vulnerabilities like open ports pa- patch management they can make inferences from the sinkholes that that actually are decent do they get everything no but but they still can produce decent data if you know where to look right it's it's a uh, I, I say don't don't use it as the as don't use them as they they describe for you to do is yeah. essentially and I think maybe that frustrates some of the tool makers but but it, uh, look they do have some use I just don't maybe instead of using the the one side of the hammer use the other side and pull the nail out as what you're doing is pulling the nail out you're not hammering the nail in right yeah. uh, uh, or, uh, uh, for, for lack of a better way to do it or use the flat the the far side of it uh, you know you know, to keep using the analogy um, let's hit on accountability real quick because you mentioned accountability we need help from regulators and ISACs uh, what are the problems I, I actually don't have, I mean it's something I haven't thought about this but I'd really like to hear your thoughts on the accountability issues yeah so you know as an example well, actually so as an example of dealing with that I think you know what's what's really interesting is that regulators themselves when I first started talking about this particular sort of you know some of the issues that I was seeing what I noticed is that in my get in my talks with regulators said we shouldn't either. You know, so I first started speaking about sort of some of the um issues with the tools themselves. You know, a good example is, you know, solutions not letting you monitor all of your vendors, you know, lack of transparency. I remember sitting down with with uh, the cyber risk team at Marsh at a recent cyber insurance conference and they said we don't utilize the risk rating tool. I mean like what we do, but the signal isn't good enough to be absolutely honest. Those scores mean nothing. Uh-huh. Us. And these are the people who are really concerned about, you know, claims and payouts, you know, and I said the manual assessments to your point really look at from, you know, writing and a claims perspective, they provide way more value. And so in talking to regulators about, hey, you know, you guys could help us a whole lot more we, with third party, you know, like we want to do this thing, right? We need help. <clears throat> we need help with the accountability portion and it comes to centralizing a lot of this data. We want to know sort of who's had a breach, you know, mm-hmm. right there, who's had a breach within the last 30 days. And I had a conversation with Valerie Cofield at CISA and um, she said, we're kind of waiting, waiting on Circea. We know that with our threat and tail tools, um, mm-hmm. there, they don't answer these particular types of questions. So when you look at sort of what's happening on the federal level and also the state level, you know, um, in my conversation with the Federal Reserve, same thing. They came up to me and said, hey, we have a problem just attempting to do supervision because we don't get this information from the state entities. We may have a bank that goes through a bank supplier that reports a breach to, you know, the Attorney General's Office of New Jersey. They're supposed to um, report this to us, and they don't. You know, so if we have a problem on the 
oversight side and supervision side um, side. And, you know, what does that mean for us who are attempting to go through and do third party risk management just on the cyber? Like, I'm not getting the ESG. I'm not getting into the other stuff. Let's just say on the cyber side. And so what I'm saying is from an accountability standpoint is that what we need is with Circia, with some of these other things is we need more centralization. We need the various states to say, hey, we have sort of a common framework, a common model for disclosing breaches or disclosing cybersecurity incidents, even not not even breaches. Mm-hmm. Let's just start with cyber incidents and provide yeah. or even events, right? right, so that we can hold each other accountable um, because they have neither the budget or the scale or, so, or the expertise to you know do the things that me and you do every day. So that's what I've found. Oh with the regulators and i think it's also true with the isacs i'd like to see sort of the isacs doing uh uh you know really leading in this particular space of saying you know what we're not really going to get this information from the federal entity. we're not going to get this from threat until how do we pull this stuff together in one place so that we can do a better job of holding each other um accountable you know that's kind of where where, where it really starts mm-hmm. And then on the last, well, it was your first in the topic list, but it was the last because I think in some ways it will it will hit home. Is financial impact right in this space? Is many third party risk management teams struggle with uh, communicating value? What's the best way? We we hit a bit on that earlier that that as a compliance engine we don't make great impact and and both both uh, I think impact in terms of wow what's the value of the team when it just does compliance right? It's a it's a check the box uh, w- widget. By the way, I think humans. Uh, naturally work well in that space, unfortunately, um, which is why I think it becomes a compliance engine is is it's task-driven. And so I, I got my tasks done for the day and go home. Um, whereas cybersecurity, and again, it's not a poke at anybody in particular, and I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but it's, it's a thinking person's game, right? So you, it's, you're not done just because you ticked a box. You've got to go pull the thread until you get all the, the whole thread out. Um, and, and then you figure out what's where's the next thread in the, in the sweater to keep pulling on, right? Yeah. It, it never ends. And, and that, that's a little annoying for some folks that it's never ending. Um, I, I, I think it's job security and also it, it produces, I think, if you're a curious mind, it, it's, a, it's a great way to continue to, to, to learn, right? Um, but <clears throat> I think financial impact, uh, I'll say my two cents, to, sorry for the analogy, for the, for the, <laughs> The, the dad joke in there. Um, I'll say my two cents in there is is um, one of the reasons I think cybersecurity is the the most important, not the only one, but the most important risk uh, 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 domain in third party risk is because it's one of the few that bleeds over into the others, yeah. in particular financial risk. Right, yeah. that whenever you have a cyber event, incident, or breach, it almost never stays in its lane. It always it always goes over the guardrail into the other risk domains, right? There's, 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 there's wreckage from the, from the crash in all the other domains, you know, yeah. privacy, uh, financial, uh, certainly in compliance. Cause now your, your security fell apart. You probably weren't compliant as well. I hate, you know, again, we can use that, uh, um, uh, your insurance is, I mean, it just, it displays everywhere, right? It doesn't stay in its lane. What, what are your thoughts on this area, Jay? Yeah, I think it's really important that we go back and, and think about sort of what are the needs of the business. And the business is going to care about something that we all care about, right? It's the impact to my wallet. And I find, I feel within within cybersecurity, within the risk is we don't lead with how much does it cost if we get it wrong. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you're a third-party risk practitioner or a cybersecurity practitioner, you should have off the top of your head, you should know 
You should know how much it's cost your competitors, how much it's cost your peers. You know, you should be able to have mm-hmm. anecdotes that you can utilize to roll out your strategy to your point earlier. You know, if you're in healthcare, you should know that it costs Anthem almost a half a billion dollars for their uh, breach. Was it back in 2015, 2016? There are numbers out there, by the way. If you tell me it's high risk, I'm going to I'm going to throw up all over you. Right. <laughs> high risk compared to what? Compared exactly. to me stubbing my toe on the bathtub again today, or high risk compared to look, the, I know the folks don't really like it sometimes, but IBM Ponyman study gives you uh, by geographic region, by industry, what the cost per record is. Is it perfect? No, it's done off real data, which is better than most. And yeah. secondly, um, the breakdown by industry and by geographic region. If you're a healthcare industry in North America and you have you have 200, 250,000 PHI records. You can do a back of the napkin a calculation about what the potential damage is. By the way, you should be sitting down when you do it because the numbers get really exponentially fast. Yeah. Really quickly, right? They get scary and suddenly you go, my cyber liabilities is going to cover, insurance isn't going to cover this. Welcome to the club. Here's your card, right? Yeah. Uh, nobody's cyber liabilities insurance is going to cover a decent sized breach anyway. So it's more of just a, it's a warm blanket that make you feel better. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and to get and, and to get your customers off your back, but it's, yeah, we can do another podcast on cyber liability insurance another time, Jay. Let me yeah. let's spend a few minutes while we have uh, just uh, show us what you can on the product and uh, on Bree Cyber. And I think uh, I I really enjoyed watching your demo of it earlier. Yeah. So um, you know, really quickly, and I, I'll pull some stuff up here. One of the things that the reason I started Bree Cyber is I, I was evaluating you know, risk ratings and monitoring tools. And I was unhappy with really one question that I kept asking that no one could answer. And that one was, have any of my vendors reported a breach to a regulator within the last 30 days? And everyone said yes, for the most part, Greg. I said, okay, great. Give me a list of your sources. And they were unwilling to provide a list of sources. And when they, and when they did, yeah. And when they did, it was a really short list. And I said, well, Well, I went off camera. So when you, when you show that people don't see it, hopefully it gives better, more more real estate for your, your demo. Yeah. Let me see if I can find my, um, let me see if I can find my, uh, my, my mouse here. So what we did and, and one of the things, and like I said, I know I don't have a whole bunch of time. Let me go. What we did is, is we said, let's start reaching out to people and seeing what's out there. And let's also identify if this level of transparency holds value for practitioners. And what we found out is for those going a little bit past compliance, that that was, yes, indeed, that's exactly what they were needing and attempting to get budget for their program and attempting to speak with more authority. I'll give you an example. So one of the things that we'll go through here and we'll show, and this is where practitioners' jaws usually drop, is I say, here's a list of the sources that we provide. And we let you know when these sources drop, as an example, hey, we can't get a particular source for a particular reason. Maybe the state's no longer providing it to us and so on and so forth. And the reason that we go out there and do that is So that when you do have an issue, you get to walk into the room and say, hey, one of our vendors disclosed a breach to the New York Attorney General. You're able to have that conversation with legal or finance. According to our contract language, they were supposed to notify us, but they didn't. Is that a concern? 
And what they found out is that there's a ton of value in being able to state information in that particular way. There's more transparency, there's more integrity, it allows you to set up uh, more trust, you know, as well. Hey, I, you're bringing me information from sources that I care about. And so, so that's kind of where, where we started. And, the, and the, one of the other things that we, we do, which is really cool, is, you know, as a practitioner, you know that the naming issue and matching sources up is a pain. And we found out for uh, um, uh, a number of different clients have a, a ton of vendors, more than sort of your usual, hey, I got 500, I got 1,000. We're talking about sort of in the policyholder space. <clears throat> Okay, great. I have 50,000 companies that I care about. Well, I have in my system PepsiCo, you have PepsiCola. You know, how do we go through and set up these lists? And on a lot of the systems, especially where you have to go through and read them yourself, you're talking, are you going to upload all of those things? So what we do is, is that <laughs> we made it more affordable. And we say, hey, if you provide us a CSV, or we have an API, we have you know RSS feed, we also provide engineering support. We say, hey, connect us to Salesforce or connect us to your GRC platform. Um, you know, we can do that for you so you don't have to think about it. And you sit back and receive, you know, email or text message alerts, you know, other sort of alerts that we can do of when something happens with your vendor. And I'll give you an example. The last point on on what we've built is uh within the first 30 days, uh, a healthcare uh client partner said, we had an issue It was tied to, uh, I believe it was Move It. And they said, we sat down with our threat intelligence team to see if they had any information on this organization. What we had found out was that this organization had actually reported a breach to a regulator. The threat intel entity had no information whatsoever on this, but you guys did. And so that was in the first 30 days. And so what we're finding out is that with this information, you can go back and ask that vendor, hey, we're going to want you to increase your, your cyber liability coverage, you know, or we're going right. to ask you to put in some more controls. Why is this awesome? This is awesome, Greg, because now it allows a practitioner to go through and to um, communicate their value in a different way. It's not just about how many assessments did you get done this year. Now you're saying we got X so, amount of It's about risk identification. It's risk identification, right? Exactly. You can say, hey, did you know that we were yeah. able to bump up, you know, cyber insurance coverage for a number of our risky vendors, you know, by this amount? Now you have something that, that ties back to dollars and cents in a really big way, you know? Well, so I can tell you as a practitioner in the space and a leader in the space, uh, um, um, event notification, event incident breach notification is, is, is a problem in the space, right? First of all, is the is as I said, you know, uh, a third party incident event or breach is inevitable, right? If you have more than a dozen vendors, given cyber activity, the the chance of an event is now a hundred percent, ninety nine point nine percent, right? So, okay. so that that's inevitable. That's if it's greater than fifty percent, it's inevitable to some extent, but but the, the numbers are in a ninety percent range. So, so the problem becomes as your as your product identifies a lot of vendors just don't sit don't tell every customer whether that's because they they want to they want to hide their head in the sand or they just don't know all their customers whatever the reason is there's a number of reasons why um, and this is another data point that is really critical um, again because uh, where the rubber hits the road in our space is when there's an event of incident or breach we we have to take action you know we're required to take action yeah. um and and i i would rather know than not know right yeah, so i, have, I, I have think that's point. i'm, I'm Please, sorry yeah. oh, there's two other no, points you're great. 
two other points why you need to know. So one of the things is, is that we see more disclosure regulations each and every day, right? In finance, Fed, Federal Reserve, OCC, FDIC require it within, I believe it's 36 hours. Um, and then we also see the National um, Credit Union Administration. The other thing to also think about, too, is that if you do not disclose timely, let's say you have cyber insurance, Harvard just lost out on a $15 million payout from Zurich because they did not notify. It was, a, it was a different sort of situation. But, you know, you have to disclose also to your cyber insurance company. And if you don't, then you're going to lose out there, as an example. And then the other thing is looking at Meridian Link from last year. If you don't disclose, your attacker may disclose, and now you end up with a, a bigger issue. <laughs> no, yeah. You know? Now you look, now you look, now you look dumb and stupid. Yeah, right. you know, you know Meridian <laughs> right that they went through, and the the uh, attackers reached out to the SEC and said, "Hey, we reached <laughs> by the way Meridian Link, and they didn't and they tell, didn't tell us tell you." <laughs> So thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah. there's a lot of different reasons why having yeah. this information is important, and I know why a lot of the bigger entities don't have it. One, they're focused on compliance, but it's also a very hard problem. You know, this data is messy yeah. all over the place. Every state is different. Every federal uh, body is different. You know, some of them will try to, you know, make it difficult for you to get at this information for various reasons. Um, and so we really need to do, I think, a good job as third-party risk practitioners informing everybody of sort of the value of this particular domain. And if you look at the dollars, if you look at the class action lawsuits, right, if you look at, um, you know, the financial impact of companies, third-party risk management is important. And to your point, cyber, you know, cyber is extremely important because of the way it impacts, you know, the balance sheet. So. I agree. I agree. Well, we, we, we've gone over my 15, 20 minute uh, normal time limit because it, it's an easy conversation uh, to have with you, Jay. So hopefully we, we the listeners stayed uh, the whole time the, to the bitter end, as they say. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it's been a great conversation. We could do an hour. But again, I think nobody would listen to the, the last half hour probably be like, oh, my gosh, these guys are still talking. So we'll have to do another 30 minutes at some point where we. We chat about some other topics. I think uh, the one we had a uh, conversation we had before, uh, the, the one would be a good one to start with, which well, which I've now forgotten, but was a, an interesting conversation. We, we both commented we should have just pushed record at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, exactly. we'll figure that one out. Well, All right. Um, Thanks for having yeah. me. It's a pleasure. Looking, looking forward to doing it again uh, real soon. Sounds great.